The Lifestylist, episode 125, featuring Deborah Hennekamp. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast has been made possible in part by my friends over at Athletic Greens. I discovered this superfood blend a couple months ago, started taking it, fell in love with it, found it to be really convenient and useful and really good for the listeners because it's so all-encompassing. It's got vitamins, minerals, raw alkaline superfoods, herbs, antioxidants, plus enzymes and probiotics. So it's really a complete superfood blend. So that's why I like it. But in order to take an advertiser on the show, I need to find out a little more. I have to do a little deep digging. And you should rest assured that I do this with all my advertisers. I got on the phone with their CEO. I asked him about testing for heavy metals, for mold, uh, herb or irradiation, all this weird stuff that you probably don't know about that a lot of health supplements companies do that is not awesome. So this passed my test, passed the taste test, passed the power test and convenience test. And that's why I'm so happy to share with you Athletic Greens. So if you want to check this out, here's what's up. You want to go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Luke. You're going to find a landing page there. And when you purchase through that page, you're going to get 20 free travel packs valued at 99 bucks. It's pretty awesome. So go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Luke. Today's show is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. Now, you guys know I'm always talking about their medicinal mushroom elixirs because I take them all the time. I'm super addicted to them. But now they've got a couple other products that I'm really into. They've got a decaf coffee for when I don't feel like freaking out on caffeine. And then they have a regular coffee. But not just coffee. Both of them are infused with medicinal mushrooms. So it's a mushroom coffee. They're fantastic. They've also got some matcha drinks like the matcha with lion's mane. And the thing that's cool about the Four Sigmatic drinks is they're totally organic. They're super powerful herbs and superfoods and mushrooms, but they're really easy to use. That's the issue I've had, like trying to be healthy and making myself some cool drinks is that it's kind of a pain in the ass and I have to open up all these different containers and it's a big project. Their products come in these little packets. You just pop them open. They're very portable. I take them on the plane. I take them on trips. I keep them in my bag, in my car. I kind of have them all over the house and I can just use them whenever I want. So Four Sigmatic, one of my favorite companies. If you want to check them out, I highly recommend that you do. To do that, you go to foursigmatic.com and like all of my sponsors, they offer a sweet discount to the listeners. If you use the code LUKESTORY, you will save 15% off your order, which is a pretty good deal. So go to foursigmatic.com, enter the code LUKESTORY and save 15%. Check it out. Word up to all my fellow cosmonauts. This is your Captain Luke Story coming at you from the cockpit of the Lifestylist podcast, bringing you another mind-expanding, soul-enlightening episode featuring today's guest, Deborah Hanekamp, otherwise known as Mama Medicine. That's right. We're bringing Mama home to the show today. 
Mama Medicine is a seeress carrying over 17 years in the healing arts. She's an initiated Amazonian shaman, Reiki master, and yogini. Guided by the present moment, Deborah has facilitated medicine readings and medicine reading ceremonies all over the world. I've been in one at Mercado Sagrado out in the Malibu Hills. It was dope. Her work has even been featured in Vogue, The New York Times, and Marie Claire magazine. This one is for my fellow trippers and skinny dippers, folks. We go into some deep water here. We recorded this conversation at Space by Mama Medicine in Soho in New York City, where she does much of her work. It's an amazing space with amazing energy, and we dove into this conversation uh, with reckless abandon. So how she uses feminine energy as a businesswoman versus trying to compete with the masculine. When she realized she was seeing auras as a kid and how it was received by her friends and family. What the auric field looks like and what colors and shapes mean. How photography never does justice when it comes to aura photography. And in fact, we, we asked the question, is aura photography, this Krillian photography, actually legitimate? I don't know if you've ever been to Sedona, but if you have, you've likely gotten your aura photographed and been told something about it. Well, it turns out she can see my aura and said that it's pure magenta, and she lets us know what that meant, which was interesting. Using aura readings to hire in the right team. So as an entrepreneur, she's using her abilities to put a great group of people together to carry her mission into the world. What it looks like in the auric field when someone carries a lot of negative energy. How she avoids codependency and allows people's karma to work out and doesn't try to save or rescue them. What it's like to see ghosts and spirits and how to not get creeped out and scared by it. What happens during her medicine readings. Ayahuasca and her initiation into shamanism. How to discern a real shaman from a fake-ass charlatan. And then she covers the history of Reiki and why it's such a powerful healing tool in her arsenal of skills. And then why you might want to do ritual baths for self-healing. So as you can see, this is going to be a fascinating episode. I thank you so much for joining me. I'd like to invite you to do a couple things before we get into the show. I would love for you to join my newsletter. If you're on the newsletter, I'm going to send you the show notes and links for everything we talk about on every single episode, as well as random video content and cool things that I'm putting out periodically, invites to events, things like that. So get on my newsletter. I'm very respectful, by the way. I'm not like a huge sales funnel, spammy kind of dude. I just want to stay in touch with you and know who you are. So hop on my newsletter, join the family. It's a good time for all. How you do that is this. If you're on a US phone, text the word lifestylist to the number 44222. So get out your phone right now. You probably have it nearby. Stop the car if you're driving. I don't want to be liable for any accidents. Let's keep it safe, kitties. But seriously, though, so open your text browser thingy, majiggy, put in the number 44222, and then enter into the body of the text, one word, all lowercase, lifestylist. Text the word lifestylist to 44222. It's going to prompt you to enter your name and email, and you're done. Next thing you know, you'll magically get dope content from yours truly. Now, if you're not on a U.S. phone or you don't like using text for whatever reason, you can also just easily go to lukestory.com forward slash newsletter. Put your name and email, and you're good to go. I also want to remind you guys that the show is now on Spotify. And what's cool about Spotify 
is that it shows in the feed every single episode. So I think this one's 125 or something like that. We're getting up there. And what happens in the iTunes app, uh, which I still use to listen to podcasts most of the time, uh, but what happens there is as the feed gets uh, more full, episodes that are older drop off. And so you can't actually go back and listen to old ones. I don't know why they do it like that. Anyone listening from Apple, wake up. You're going to lose everyone to Spotify. You guys are slipping. Uh, but for now, I really like Spotify uh, for podcasts when I'm listening on my computer because it has a really beautiful interface. It's easy to use. It's awesome. So check out the Lifestylist podcast on Spotify. And I think that's all I lead, need to let you know about um, other than how stoked I am to have you as a listener and how eternally grateful I am to be able to sit down and have enlightening conversations with such fantastic people as Deborah Hanekamp, a.k.a. Mama Medicine. So sit back Get ready to have your mind blown as we dig into this here convo. So here we are at Space by Mama Medicine with Mama Medicine herself. Deborah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Super fun stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. You guys listening, I feel so much empathy for you because you can't see the beautiful space in which we're sitting. We're in the middle of Soho in Manhattan. And outside, it's utter chaos on the streets. And we're in this beautiful oasis with plants and cactus and bowls and um, Palo Santo burning and crystals everywhere. It's just fantastic. So it's going to be a really good vibe in here. I'm excited. <laughs> and so I also want to give a shout out to our mutual friend, Lacey Phillips from Free and Native, yeah, who recommended that I record you. She's like, dude, if you're in New York, you are a total loser if you don't find my friend Deborah and do a <laughs> podcast with her. So I took it on faith and I did a lot of research on you and watched your videos and read your site and stuff. And I was like, I agree. This is going to be fantastic. Amazing. So thanks to Lacey. So what's behind the name Mama Medicine? Well, a couple of different things. One is I'm a mom. How old is your kid? Four and a half. Oh, cool. Yeah. So first and foremost, like my work in this world is to be a mom, but also mama in terms of working with like divine feminine energy, like, you know, the crystals, the plants, the experience that you have in here, it's just bringing in a lot of femininity. So that's also mama, like mama earth or like mama divine, basically. I'm into that. I like that energy. Yeah. How do you reconcile, or I should say, how do you harness and use feminine energy as a businesswoman to open a business that's thriving and you're covered in Vogue and like every cool New York City blog and magazine? Mm -hmm. How do you be like a boss and have power using feminine energy rather than trying to compete with the masculine? Um, just like receptivity. So calling in what I need, you know, like, uh, whereas masculine energy, it, it's also important. And I feel like I have that aspect of myself too, where it's like, go out and get it and get things done and keep things organized. Feminine energy is like, okay, let me just be open to what comes in. So like all the press and stuff that you've seen that I've gotten, it's me just being like open to allowing it to come in. It's not like going out and getting and trying to find these people, you know? Right, it's not like you're proactively on the computer in like that yang state, like, da, 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 I'm going to email 500 people tonight and push yeah. myself on them. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I think that's a refreshing perspective, and there's a lot of women that are very powerful in your space that are having all sorts of businesses and consulting and doing all of this stuff. I've interviewed a few of them here in New York, and something I'm finding is this sort of emergence of that divine feminine attitude and energy mm -hmm. and i just got to tell you as a man that's so beautiful and refreshing so thank you for 
bringing that about and you know and, and sharing that perspective with other women because i think our culture in general really needs that right now yeah i was interviewing a woman named allison charles the other day and i was telling her like that's what men want like we're ready for that <laughs> you know i mean i think even men that might have been even i don't want to say like discriminate against women but men that have been less than conscious about including women mm-hmm. in commerce and the world and conversations and like really seeing them as equals i think they'll even have a much easier time when surrounded and introduced to that energy yeah because it, there's a lot more uh, cooperation and collaboration involved and then maybe some of us men can learn how to access and i think a lot of people in the yoga and meditation scene do we learn how to access the feminine to soften ourselves up a little bit and gain access to that receptivity that you speak of but still be able to go out and be proactive and be fireman and shit and like yeah. <laughs> crush it and get shit done. I think yeah. we all, don't we all kind of need to be able to harness those energies and create balance. Yeah, and and getting each other involved in like community, I think is one of those ways of working with divine feminine energy. You know, nature is very symbiotic. You know, it needs other components in order to grow and evolve. And so putting that into a business practice is very interesting. And it, it's also, it's new for me. You know, I had a, a business from when I was 24 to 29 and I was very like yang and more masculine with that and feeling like I had to do everything and it had to be all coming from me. And it was great and things went well, but I also totally burnt out from it. And so now with the second time around, I'm like, okay, how do I, ask for the help that I need in order to achieve the things that I need to in this lifetime. Right. Yeah. And do you find when you're putting out this really loving mama energy that the world from the masculine, those people, be it they male or female, respond and like want to contribute to what you're doing in a meaningful way? Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, I find that as I increase my receptivity, I feel more received. Right. Yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well said. That's funny because that that was that was actually something I wanted to get into is the whole energetics, but then it just happened right now, and that's the beauty of doing a show is you can play around. So okay, so back kind of to the beginning now. There's something. There's a unique gift you have, and I'm I'm sensing that you have the humility to think it's not something you've created and like you're special. It's just like some people can run fast, some can play guitar, some can see auras. Mm -hmm. And this is something that you were imbued with as a young kid. Mm -hmm. When did you first discover that you could see things that other kids couldn't? When I was 12 and I was talking about the colors and shapes around people to my friends and what they meant and they started laughing at me like I was a nut job. (laughs) Where were you living at that time? Um, I grew up in uh, the middle of the woods in Connecticut. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And was it at all like a, a consciousness-oriented community there? Like, you know, was it like the Sedona of Connecticut or was it just normal people that watch football and like go to Walmart? Um, Not to be an elitist and judge them, I'm saying there's, <laughs> you know, there's different scenes that you can get into, you know? No, there wasn't much like connection to spirit there. But what is really interesting is I, I grew up right near um, a Native American reservation, um, so that always like captured my interest a lot, you know. And the shaman from the land there, if he would be walking into town because he didn't have a car, when I was like sixteen, I would pull over, I'd pick him up, I'd give him a ride wherever he would need to go, and he would give me a little blessing with his rattle 
And my grandfather was part Native American and he would always be speaking to the birds and like speaking to the earth. And so there was that wow. really interesting like connection to spirit through him too. That's dope. Mm. That's interesting. You said though, how the guy would walk into town. I was just looking up the Bob, the lyrics to Bob Marley, No Woman, No Cry. Mm-hmm. And one of the lines is, my feet are my only carriage. Cause I can never understand what the fuck he's saying in that song. I'm trying to learn how to play it and sing it. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's, I mean, I knew that line, but it reminded me of that. I was like, oh, that's cool. It's, it's such well, a good song. Isn't it great? It's such yeah, a good song. Yeah, so good. I was like I playing it on Instagram last night and I only knew the chorus. So I was like, I got to learn the, the verse. Uh, anyway, I digress. I just love Bob Marley and I get excited. So when you're a kid, you're 12 years old and, so had you sort of been seeing auras and seeing these colors and stuff then sort of come out to your friends who then judge you or was yeah. it were the, did the revelation happen at the same time? No, I had always seen them like as far back as I can remember. I've always seen them, you know, and it made me like very sensitive because like some colors I would see around people. I'd be like, "Ooh, I really like to be around that person or somebody would be like, eh, no thanks, you know. Right, right. Um, but when I was 12, it was the first time I had a conversation about it with people and actually like the last time I had a conversation about it with people until up about a year ago. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. So you were sort of like closeted with that that gift for all that time. Yeah. So people would come to see me and I would be saying like all these things, but I wouldn't say it's because I can see their aura, you know? Uh, So you wouldn't let on like, you say you were doing like energy work and healing work, but you wouldn't let on as to like what you're your secret sauce was yeah exactly interesting yeah yeah and so so you did in fact then kind of shut that down at least in terms of being open about it when you were rejected by your peers at that time then. yeah 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 god i can imagine i mean just like sucking it like baseball makes kids hate you like <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> when you're that age let alone or just having a weird haircut or whatever yeah. i mean a lot of kids hated me just because i was different and artistic you know and so i can imagine that didn't go over too well yeah i mean i had the funny haircut i had like braces with all different colors and i was like talking about seeing auras people didn't know what to do with me right i bet <laughs> i bet so so when you started to see this when you were a kid and mm-hmm. and i guess carrying on to this day so you see like a a colorful field around a person's body essentially is that kind of the way that it's subjectively experienced yeah it's colors and shapes and like different ways that the auric field moves and all of those movements and shapes and colors mean something a little bit different and uh it's like a language that i've learned to interpret over time yeah, that's what I was going to say. How did you learn to derive meaning out of those shapes and colors and movements? Well, when I was 12 and I realized not everybody could see auras, I started reading a lot of different books about mysticism and like, you know, theosophy and like, uh, like really like spent a lot of time in the library with it. But a lot of what turned up was like, this color means this thing and that color means that thing. And it, it would, I found it to be just slightly judgmental in a way. And so I kind of disregarded. Like dualistic? Yeah, that yeah. Like, these colors are good, these colors are bad yeah, vibe? Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whereas I didn't really see it like that. Um, I would see like more clarity versus like cloudiness, you know? And so I started to interpret my own language with it, the, what this color means to me, but it's not necessarily just like what the color means. It's how, what is its vibrancy like? How big is the aura? Is it moving? Is it stagnant? Like all of these different things. Now that 
you are open about the fact that you are able to perceive that, does it ever become annoying? Because every person you meet is like, what's more look like? Yeah. <laughs> like I'm tempted to do. <laughs> I've like been resisting ever since I walked in the door. I'm like, Luke, don't fucking ask. Don't ask. Don't ask. I'm like, okay. That was like a, that was a very covert way of asking, by the way. No. Um, I know it was. <laughs> uh, so is what you see similar in any way to like, the uh, the Krillian photography, the aura photography that is sort of a sideshow trick type thing when you drive through Sedona and stop at the crystal stores. There's a lot of those places that do yeah, uh, you know, photography. It, Does it look anything like that to you? It doesn't look the same. Like, so I was actually at an event where the aura photography was happening and it was really interesting because I was looking at the pictures that people were getting from it and it doesn't look the same, but I also feel like photography never looks the same as real life. Like when you try to photograph the moon, it never looks the same. I know, you know? especially nature. Yeah. That's so true. Or even like, not even just nature, but in New York City, I'll see like a really cool skyline or something. I take a picture. I'm like, ah, no one's gonna be able to tell on Instagram how dope this is. And then I just delete it, you know, because yeah. it never measures up to the real thing. Yeah. The facsimile is always, uh, is always weak. So do you think there's validity to the aura photography though? I mean, or is it, so that's the thing. When you go when you go get your aura photo taken, they tell you, oh, this means this and this means that. And I've had it done a couple of times and I feel like they're just kind of buttering me up. So I go buy spiritual books in the, in the bookstore because mm -hmm. they're like, oh, your aura is like really special. It means this and that. And I'm like, you know, really? What if I would have come here two hours later? Would it have been, you know, green instead of purple? And would that mean something? In other words, how much legitimacy would you lend to that? You have a lot of magenta around you, by the way. Really? You, you wanted to ask. Yeah. Oh, well, there it, you go. Cool. It's usually around Score. like new love. And like, you know, wow. so if you're in a long-term relationship, it's like a wave of new love that's coming in or it's like a new relationship. That's interesting yeah. because I'm fairly recently out of one mm -hmm. and now am sort of, I would say, using that experience as an exercise in extreme self-love. Oh, nice. And mm. therefore not dating at all. Yeah. And not interested in meeting anyone at all at this point in life. Not yeah. like I'm being a recluse or, you know, something like that. It's just like, I just have a plan. So new love for life. Yeah, it is. It is. I was walking around the city today. And it cooled off. Like today felt like fall and just the breeze was so nice. And there's little peaks of sunshine coming through the clouds and I just have the best life. I've had so many great interviews out here and, you know, just success in so many ways. And, uh, and I'm just really appreciating who I am maybe to this, at this depth for the first time in my life, mm. having spent a lot of my life, not liking myself at all. Mm. In fact, to the contrary, most of the time. So I think maybe perhaps you are picking up on just the generality of me having just a really loving energy toward life and toward you and toward everyone in the room. And I'm just feeling that as a, as an overall experience. Yeah. I think maybe it's new love though towards yourself specifically. Mm. Yeah. Mm. New love to this life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think that's after, I think for a lot of us after a challenging period of time, if we're spiritually oriented, we're able to contextualize those lessons as something that brings us to a higher level, you know, if we, if we know the right tools and have the right help to do so, you know, so that's kind of what's happened for me is I had a really rough time, which sucked and I wish that that never happened, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But now I'm like, okay, how can I transmute this into something really positive that takes me to 
you know, a deeper level of understanding and self-acceptance and, and also have the ability to change the patterns in my life and the circumstances as to learn new painful lessons later on rather than keep on the hamster wheel and learning those same painful lessons as a result of ignorance of the pattern. Good for you. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. It's fun stuff. Yeah. But anyway, enough about me. <laughs> Can you turn turn off this sense that you have or is it just like seeing any other color or seeing any other shape in the room is it just kind of like bing it's just on or is it something you can kind of squelch if you need to pay attention to your taxes or some shit um it's really hard living here in new york city you know i've lived here for 16 years and there there's so many people and i've tried to leave so many times because it's a little overwhelming with being able to see so much about people you know because Sometimes on the subway, I just want to go up to someone and like hug them and tell them that everything is going to be okay. Um, but uh, I had to kind of learn how to like close up a little bit when I'm just like walking around trying to go through my day because it can be a little bit overwhelming. But then sometimes I just get like overcome with, you know, what I will see in someone. And so I'll go talk to them a little bit or just make sure that they're all right. That was something I was going to ask you, actually, in regard to the work that you do. Those of you listening, we're sitting in her studio, and there's a you know a table that's a massage table with beautiful blankets on it, and I'm assuming that's where you sort of treat people or do what you do, which we're going to yeah. go into. And yeah. I was going to ask you for sure, because this is true, you know, people that do body work and stuff like that always talk about, you know, how they have different techniques to not pick up negative energy and pathology from the people that they're working with. Is the protection that you sort of put around yourself, does force field different working one-on-one -on -one with someone than it is when you just have to transverse the streets of Manhattan? No, it's the same. And uh, I'm so protected because the highest form of protection is love. And so like I just am always surrounding myself with love. And if I feel like, ooh, I need a little bit of extra protection, I close my eyes and I focus in on my daughter because that's where I feel love the most. Right. And then I just, I'm overcome with that sense of love and it's like nothing can penetrate that. That's so interesting because I think most people, including myself, when I think of having to protect myself from ener energies that could be disruptive or harmful to me, mm -hmm. my natural inc inclination would be to shut my heart down mm. and to actually, in a sense, deny love because I feel like I need to like put on that shell, that egoic shell to like keep people out and not be vulnerable. And even like the physical body language of sort of collapsing your shoulders and mm -hmm. protecting your heart. So that's interesting that you, uh, you use the opposite of that. That's cool. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense actually. I think in, in some ways, actually now I think about it, in some ways over the years I have learned to do that in a sense, maybe not as consciously, but when I'm in a conflict with someone, mm -hmm and the energy gets disrupted between us, uh, rather than closing in on myself and protecting, I do have a tendency to really like open my body language and my physical heart chakra and just mm -hmm. like blast them with unconditional love as a means by which to resolve the conflict. Mm -hmm. And it has a really magical effect. That's, I don't think about that like out on the street though. I think I'm probably like put on my headphones, put my head down, you know, like stay out of my way. I don't want like crazy people talking to me and stuff. Mm -hmm. But one-on-one, -on -one, when shit gets a little heated, it can be so uncomfortable and there's so much tension around that that I just sort of like do a lot of really deep breathing and just kind of holding space for that negative energy and use that love feeling to dissipate the conflict. Yeah, like I'm actually 
totally pro confrontation because I think it's that's so funny. Yeah, that, that's great. Okay, yeah, go totally, on here, but totally. I, I mean, if you ask anyone who knows me well, they they know because I feel like it helps you to resolve things. But if you can have those confrontations from a place of love, then nobody needs to yell. Nobody needs to be offensive. But at the same time, stuff stuff gets done. Stuff gets moved. Things get resolved and, and you can move on and have really, really good relationships in your life, you know? So as a business owner, I'm sure you encounter situations in which you have to kind of bust balls and like reprimand someone oh, yeah. and fire someone and everyone's late, especially working in a space like this. I can assume that a portion of the people that want to work with you and for you are probably kind of flighty and spiritual and like mm-hmm. maybe at times not grounded. So you must have to come out and like be the boss at times, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure my my real estate agent had a really interesting time working with me because like when he was showing me places, I'd be like, nope, it's haunted. Nope, the landlords have bad energy. Like he, it took him six months to help me find this place. Wow. Or, or like the con- the construction uh, crew who came in, they, they like underestimated me at first and then they really understood that like I kind of wasn't messing around, you know? <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> but as far as hiring people, you know, one of the the perks of being able to see auras is I can say, is this person going to be like, I need people who are grounded so I can be flighty. Right. You know? So Tell me about I it. look and I see like, okay, is this person going to kind of fill in the places where I might be a little bit unbalanced? Yes or no. And then I hire people who can balance me out. That's cool. Yeah. yeah very smart. That's, you know, I think that's a thing for a lot of business owners is we tend to want to have people on our team just innately that are like us. Mm-hmm. Like I've hired people because I interview them. I have them run through a series of personality tests and I kind of as- assign them, you know, a certain archetype personality or not. Mm-hmm. I don't, but the tests do because mm-hmm. I don't want to put them in the wrong seat on the bus. But I've made the mistake in the past of hiring like mirrors of myself. Mm-hmm. And then you have like two dumbass, like, you know, really flighty, you know, spur of the moment, live in the moment, kind of um, spontaneous people. And no one's like checking the other one and you just kind of run in circles. So I've learned to kind of look for the opposite too. I never thought of it in terms of people that ground me, but I'm very like spontaneous. I just, I literally, quite literally make up life as I go through the day. Nice. I have very few plans. Like I just go, hmm, what, what feels good right now? And then I just follow that, which makes scheduling and, you know, scheduling podcasts. I've been doing all of these, this uh, in New York on my own. And I'm like, for the most part. And uh, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe that I've actually pulled it off because I'm like, you know. I don't like scheduling at all. Creative type. It's rough, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's rough, dude. But yeah, it's important to have people around that can ground us that are a little bit whew, ethereal, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And, what does it look like when someone carries a lot of negative energy? What colors or shapes or feeling do you get? Like when you walk around New York City, for example, I mean, there's a lot of people that are really hurt people, yeah. you know, that have congregated to the city, homeless, uh, people with mental illness and, yeah. you know, everyone that's somewhat on the more sane side kind of like walks around them and you just try to avoid them. What does that actually look like to you? Well, for addiction... It's like a yellow ochre kind of color. And like um, terminal illness is a sort of like like a grayish kind of brown. And those two, when I see the the combination of those colors, I feel very, very worried about someone. I Mm. feel very, very worried about someone. And depression 
it's interesting because like a, a lot of people who live in cities can be very depressed because they're disconnected from nature and, w- and we need nature and we we need to remember we are nature but also uh when we forget that we become a little depressed and that that looks like um like this light purplish kind of gray somebody kind of standing to the side of themselves so i i don't necessarily see it as much as like negative energy versus positive energy or these like dualistic ways because mm-hmm. i really tried to see everyone for who they are um the light, the shadow, all of it is medicine in a way. But I do, sometimes I, I see colors and I'm like, oh, I feel so very worried about this person, you know? Most of the time, I'm like, okay, they, they might have some energy blocks, but they'll work it out and they'll get through us. But sometimes I feel like, ooh, or if somebody is carrying around like a lot of abuse or something like that, their aura will be very like tight and um, like a deep, dark red. And I feel like worried about them, you know? How do you avoid codependency, having this ability? How have you learned to accept that that's a spirit or a soul in the form of a person and that that's their path and their karma? And it's like, hey, they chose to be born to the parents they were. I mean, this is my kind of worldview, you know, like they have their karma to work out. I've had people in my life that I feel like, God, if I could just help them, you know, like I know what the answer is. They're doing this, they're doing that. And like I can see through my own sort of, methods of seeing what I perceive to be the truth or what would be the highest good for them. And I've had to, I've had to learn over time to just like let people go, especially in the context of addictions, you know, having someone as myself, I'm in recovery. So it's been 20 years. I've been watching people that also want to be in recovery and they don't necessarily have a choice. Like Mm. I didn't have a choice, but I made a decision. I got some divine intervention and that shit stuck. And I'm like, I'm not messing with it. Mm. But I've encountered so many people that want that. And I'm like, oh God, I want to like save them and rescue them. And I've really had to learn over time to just like, hey, it's not, they're not my responsibility. You know, I have to, I have to allow people to suffer because that might be their karma. And that might be what it takes for them to get to the next level of consciousness. If not in this body, perhaps in the next one or the one after that and the one after that. And I don't want to even interfere with that. Mm-hmm. So how do you draw the line between being compassionate and caring and loving and wanting to heal and help people and knowing when to just say, hey, I'm not going to let this sort of affect my own happiness and consciousness. Um, if I'm being totally truthful here, I Please have do. a very hard time with this. Yeah, Because sometimes I can't help but say something like i know that i'm not here to like rescue people or to save people like if if people don't want to be helped that's their choice and i respect that but at the same time i sometimes i see something around someone and i just feel like oh no 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 this can't be happening and um, I try to really talk to them. And then this is where like not having a problem with confrontation comes in because like people can be very, very good about hiding their pain and hiding their suffering. But sometimes I'll just like kind of call them out on it. And with the clients and stuff, it, it's easy because they're coming here to see me. So right. I can, I can just They've share. They've given you permission. Yeah. yeah. Right. So but they're not going to be like, hey, how dare you? Like, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it's like that, that energy exchange is there. But with the, friends and family, this has been a very difficult thing for me. And so like intellectually, I'm like, okay, it's their karma, it's their path. They chose these parents, like they choose their suffering. Like this is their way. 
And then in my heart, sometimes I can't, and my heart overtakes it. And then I'm like, hey, you're really fucking up right now. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> By the way. <laughs> right, right. You know? Like, yeah. So that's been an interesting thing to find a balance with because I feel sometimes it is important to say something and sometimes it is important to just let people be. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I think I've, I've struggled with this too. Yeah. I've gotten a lot better with it. But I sort of, my line in the sand is is like it's pretty clear like when to intervene and when not to for mm. me if someone doesn't ask my opinion or my help i just sit there and let them suffer most of the time mm-hmm. you know i see them sitting there beating their head against the wall i'm like you know you could like move the wall you know or mm-hmm. move away from the wall but unless someone asks me and i watch you know friends i know like oh man i have digestive issues or this issue or what i have headaches all the time and i'm like dude it's you eat gluten i mean it's like so obvious you know yeah um, or even you know even superficial health things like that a lot i notice and i'm just like god don't say anything don't say anything because people also they they reject help if they feel like they're being controlled or judged right you know but if they give permission like you said i'm like are you sure you want to ask because we're going to be here for five hours and i'm just going to unload truth bombs on you you know but if someone asks there's a certain degree of humility and teachability that they possess just by the very nature that they ask the question and it's sort of if you can open someone's mind then anything is possible you know so so that's interesting and and speaking of your family what what does your family think about your abilities and and what you do for a living now are they on board or are they skeptical or what i've always been a little bit of a weirdo right you know so like i know the feeling yeah so i've always been like my whole life obsessed with crystals and like you know like needing the divine and in every way and being close to the divine so to all my family this isn't very weird to them right like it's kind of like okay yeah that makes sense um do you think in a sense they're relieved because they were sort of like wow our daughter's trippy we wonder if she's going to end up just like smoking weed living in the park and then you actually like made a viable business and you get all this <laughs> press and you're pretty legit on paper i mean i think most parents even that are more conservatively bent would be like oh shit at least she's crushing it you know has yeah. that helped or, did, or what do you think I mean, I don't think that they know exactly what I do, but like, you know, my dad has definitely felt a lot of like my truth bombs being dropped. And so I think he essentially understands that that's kind of what I'm doing in a professional way. Right. And then um, my mom has like her own form of spirituality, so it isn't like too, too far out. But uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think they judge it. I think they're just like, I wonder what is happening there. I, right. I also don't think, you know, they're busy living their own lives. So yeah, I don't yeah. think they're that yeah. concerned. You're a grown-ass woman. Like, yeah. they're not sitting around worried about you anymore. No. You're not, like, 19 and, yeah. oh, is she going to go to college or not and all yeah. that stuff. All right, I cool. bet there was a point where they weren't sure if I was going to make it into society. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Live on the fringes. <laughs> yeah. I get it. They're, like, getting, they're getting ready for the dreadlocks, yes. Yeah. She's going to check out. <laughs> so, with your daughter, mm-hmm. were you concerned that, when she arrived that her aura might be of a trippy nature and have energy that you weren't prepared for? And if so, what did it end up looking like to you when she was born? And do you remember seeing the aura the moment she was born for the first time? I feel that her spirit was reaching out to me for about five years before I actually had her. So it was like on a spiritual level, we were already meeting up. Like my husband and I both have hazel eyes, 
Um, but in all of my meditations and, and these kinds of things, I would see these big, beautiful blue eyes. And she was born with these like big, beautiful blue eyes. And uh, I mean, this is like totally mom bias, but her energy is the most beautiful energy I've ever seen. Really? Yes. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> yes. No, I wasn't, I wasn't worried like, oh no, what is coming yeah. to me? Like I felt her before yeah. she came. Yeah. So I find it interesting, even sometimes parents that are very conscious and elevated and they've been working on themselves and spiritual and all this stuff for mm -hmm. years and years and then they call in or they accept a soul to enter the physical form through their union. Mm -hmm. And then that kid turns out to be really rotten and a total dick and is like very low consciousness, you know? Yeah. And it, I'm just like, wow, that's so, that's terrifying to think like you could really work on yourself and create this amazing energetic field in your own life, procreate and then because of the karmic lessons necessary for you to learn and for that entity to learn, like you get someone who's totally not on the same page and just rejects all of your, you know, your your high vibes. Yeah. I mean, you see that happen sometimes. Like someone's a really good person, super spiritual, and they have a teenager that's just like a oh, Satanist, totally. you know? Yeah, totally. Like, oh, damn, I hope like, I hope I've somehow set things up and earned it. So if and when I have a kid someday, like they come in just like yours, having that experience, where I'm like, oh my God, they're the purest energy I've ever encountered because I don't think I could fucking handle anything less than that. But I feel like those really conscious parents too, like they get those kids because they can handle it. Uh, okay okay yeah. right right so they're put in that position to help facilitate the process of growth for that soul coming in that needs to go through those dark stages and work their way up so to speak yeah and so they needed powerful enough guides to help facilitate that process yeah mm, cool this yeah. is a dope conversation <laughs> like i'm digging this by the way I don't get to talk like this with that many people. I mean, a little bit more so having a show, but yeah. it's like me and my three homies sit around and talk like this, but you try to like go to Whole Foods and like, hey, so your kid seems like a brat. Do you think you're there to, are you conscious <laughs> enough to facilitate a fucking demon coming out of you and you have to raise, the, you know, it's like, how do you even start that conversation? Hey, check this out. I recently launched something on my site called The Master Market. It's a super cool store where I've got different categories, whether it be spirituality, mind focus, outdoors, food, superfoods, supplements, bedroom, sleep, office, jet lag, biohacking. There's even a bookstore from some of my favorite books and books recommended by my guests. And what this is, is like a hub where you can go find all of the links to everything I've either used and vetted or I'm currently using in my life to build the ultimate lifestyle. So it's called The Master Market, Luke's Lifestyle List, and you can find it at lukestory.com forward slash store. Just go to my site and you'll see it in the navigation. Now, what's really cool about this is when you make a purchase through my store, I'm not actually selling you anything. I'm just curating a really dope place where you can go find the best stuff. So I get a piece of commission if you make a sale through the site. The vendor, of course, makes some cash because you buy and you get a place where you can go and save time and money from not having to look around for the best stuff and do all the research yourself. But what's even cooler is most of those items come with a custom discount code if you go through my site, which is pretty cool. So it's a win, 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 triple trifecta win. Great way to support my work and the podcast and the show, as well as the brands and your own health and well-being. Check it out. LukeStory.com forward slash store aside from the things that you see in people mm -hmm. and the energy fields around them and it's you know i'm just assuming like everyone listening to this is open enough to even just 
be on board with this whole thing. I never even addressed the conversation of like, what if this shit, we're just making it up. And I guess people that stumble across my show are probably fairly Mm open-minded. So I'm going to take it out there a little further just as an exercise and and a greater level of open-mindedness. Aside from what you see in people, do you see shit like flying around? I mean, are you seeing like interdimensional beings and, you know, entities and ghosts and stuff like that? Like you said, you get the feeling in some buildings there's like bad juju. How strong are those images or experiences for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty strong. It's it's another reason why New York is a very hard place for me to live because there's a lot of spiritual activity here. Really? Yeah, especially like uh, around this time of year. Really? Mm. And so what happens to you if you like go into Zara or some shit and you're like, whoa. <laughs> There's like bad vibes in here. Like there's stuff going on in here. I mean, do you leave or is there a practice that you have to sort of ground yourself and and block it out? Or, I mean, are there certain like spaces or people that you're just like, no go, I'm out? Um, Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. Sometimes there will be a building that I will have to go into and I'll be like, you know what? No, thanks. I don't, you you know, if I can say no to these things, I'll just say no. Or, um, you know, with people, it's not really that big of a deal. Like, mm. even if somebody has, like, you know, these spirits or something attached to them, it's not really that big of a deal. But sometimes in different places, it's very, very overwhelming. Because I feel like if there are spirits in a place, most of the time those spirits don't know that they're dead, they're trapped in there. Part of me wants to help them. But then when I clear that kind of energy, I get very sick after and so most of the time I try to just like leave. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot of power in those energies then. Yeah. Is the power in the individual energies or is the collective field created by the concentration of them within one space? Um, Both. Mm. Also, sometimes when you try to set one of these spirits free then like you open the door for more to come so it's oh, sort of like they the see you gates. as a conduit and they're like oh sweet she's open for business yeah like i i once Gnarly. was staying in woodstock right next to a graveyard and it was like it was it was very 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 hard for me it wow. was yeah yeah i mean my framework is just this like straight up there's a spirit that i am that's animating this physical meat suit and i get to borrow it for a little while and Mm -hmm. cruise around in it and um and then at some point this meat suit stops functioning on a biological level and that protoplasm that i was inhabiting just you know it gets burned up or buried in the ground whatever happens it's fucking meaningless doesn't even matter it's literally like a piece of steak for some worms and fungi and shit then my spirit goes somewhere for some period of time yeah until god or whatever allows me to have the ability to incarnate again in the most favorable circumstances for my own evolution right which maybe would be to a conscious mom maybe i'll come back as your second kid if i die soon enough but to be born to like a super conscious (laughs) would that be weird it's a weird thought i'll be born as like to a conscious family or or not or total like the gnarliest the next hitler is my dad and then i'm able to have that experience and move up through it but these entities that you're describing, do you perceive them to be ones that are sort of stuck in between worlds where they are like hanging out and don't have the opportunity to incarnate again? Or what, what's, your, what's your sense on that? 
they don't know that they're dead. They're usually addicts that have passed away thinking that they're just high. Oh, snap. Oh, my God. I just got shivers. So most of the time. So glad I'm sober. <laughs> yeah (laughs) so oh lord yeah so most most of the time that's what it is and it's actually not they're not it's not like they are um like negative energy or malevolent energy or something like that they're just lost Mm. you know Mm. yeah wow interesting which is why when i see addiction around people and when i see it's like fatal addiction i get really freaked out for them Mm-hmm. Right, because you know what's potentially on the other side of that. It's yeah. this purgatorial, like caught in space and time zone. Yeah. Where they're like, doo, 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 what happened? I was just chilling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was at a kegger. Like, there was chicks. It was all good. And then I went in the bathroom and shot up. And now I'm fucking stuck in some building on 42nd Street. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Heavy. Yeah. What happens during your medicine readings? You come and you sit and you can set an intention. Then we meditate together for one or two minutes and I read your aura in depth. And then I talk to you about what I see coming up and I can also tailor that to what your intentions are. And then you come and you lay down on the bed and we do a whole ceremony to kind of cleanse and bless and protect the auric field involving scent and sound and uh, the Icaros from the Peruvian Amazon and uh, just all, all sorts of magic. And all of the sort of props that are involved in this process, the crystals, the burning of sage, the mm-hmm. incense, plants around cactus, waving the plant thingy, little broom, you know, mm-hmm. all the shamanistic sort of elements of it. How much of that has in and of itself its own power and validity? And how much of that part of the practice is really just to create a space and set an intention? In the medicine reading context, that ceremonial part could totally be facilitated without any of these tools. But they're also like very, very supportive for me because of the specific energy that they bring. You know, like the you know, the the bowls, they each have their own auric field and their own energy. And I found them to be so incredibly supportive. And so with these different tools and instruments and, you know, incense and crystals and things like that, I feel like I have to do less of the work and I have like a whole team I'm working with. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Because I think from people that are out, I mean, me personally, like I'm on board with everything. I'm... <laughs> I would rather be open-minded than skeptical because being skeptical just is so unintelligent. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, cautious, have some discernment, sure, but like being a skeptic and wanting to see the science on every fucking thing, it's like, how do you see the science on, you know, the love that you feel from your kids? Like, what, give me a blood test and test the level of love? Like, it's just fucking there. You know, it's there, right? Yeah. But I think for a lot of people, and I'm just thinking of like your average dude, like a homie of mine, it's not like, oh, crystals are dumb and like burning sage isn't going to do anything. They're not like anti, but they're probably just like would be tolerant of that <laughs> of that stuff. But a lot of them, not just my friends, but just a lot of people in general, I think are like, oh, whatever. You know, it's like some woo-woo shit that's just like, it's more like theatrics than actually meaningful or effective in any way. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so that's why I ask. And because for, from your perspective, of course, it's very real and you're getting results. I mean, you're boom, you have a booming business here. I don't think people are all coming back because of wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. But some of those things that are so intangible, like sitting with a crystal on your forehead or something like the things I see on Instagram, like the people in this sort of space, I always just wonder, like, is that really doing anything? Or is it just, is everyone just kind of pretending? You know what I'm saying? I think that, um, first of all, have you ever just laid down with a crystal on your forehead? Like, I don't think it? I have. <laughs> yeah, try, like, don't try. knock it until you try it, right? <laughs> yeah, just try it. But, um, you know, on I'm, well, you know, it's funny though. I'm also the guy that puts like a big chunk of shungite in my spring water container. Yeah. Like just because someone said, oh, it cleans the water, it revitalizes it. I go, oh, great. Okay. I mean, what's it going to hurt to throw the thing in there? Yeah. Can I prove that it's like bringing my water back to life that I got it from a spring in the mountains? I don't know. So anyway, carry on. Look, with skeptics, I'm like, just come, you know? Right. You can come and you can stay closed through the whole time we're talking together. But I feel like, especially with the ceremony part, it would be very hard to experience that and not feel anything, you know? Wow. So I'm like, just, you, you know, just give it a try. I don't, right. I don't have anything to prove at all. Yeah. I don't need you to come here and leave and feel like, yes, this is definitely something that works efficiently, you know? Right. So like, if you want to come, you want to check out what it is, come check out what right. it is. <laughs> I think I want to. I mean, I've, I'll do any, I've done some, I've done like, you know, a cambo frog. Mm-hmm. Probably know you got, you know, shaman experience. So I've done some weird stuff and people go, why did you do it? What does it do? I go, I don't know. I was just drawn. Mm-hmm. I can't even explain it. I was just, someone mentioned it. I heard it a couple of times. And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. What did it do for you? I don't know. I just had a feeling that I wanted to do it, and then I did it. Mm-hmm. Next, <laughs> you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I'm into it. Okay, so you've traveled to the Amazon and been initiated as a shaman, and I can assume that within that process there was some experiences that you either witnessed or participated in uh, involving plant medicine, ayahuasca, and the like. Right? Mm-hmm. Was that in fact the case? Was that part of your training? Yeah, the training was to lead my own ayahuasca ceremonies, okay. essentially, and, and work with the plants, the medicinal plants of the Peruvian Amazon that so also just heal your kidneys and Right, like so that. your trip was in, in the, uh, Peru. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what was the weirdest thing you ever saw happen as you're witnessing ceremonies, not to you subjectively, but just with anyone in the group? I mean, did you ever see anyone flip out and climb a tree and jump off the fucking thing into a river or like, did anyone just lose their shit or is it sort of just all run of the mill, a little throwing up, some revelation, some tears, some laughter kind of thing? <laughs> I've seen a lot of crazy shit. <laughs> yeah? Give me some stories. I'm curious. And I know so I've done my research on you, so I know you've, you've kind of come full circle and you're, you know, you're in a different stage of that now. And yeah, we're going yeah, yeah. to talk about that. But I just want to go back to sort of the beginnings of, of that because I think it's something people are really curious about. And I'm skeptical to a certain degree as things become westernized mm. shit can get a little weird and i think possibly it has but let's go back because i i've never done it probably never will so what kind of kooky stuff can happen i think that if you approach ayahuasca as an idea versus like approaching ayahuasca as being called you are working with a more kind of in the mind energy like i think i should do this or or if you approach ayahuasca and it's like, I just want to trip out and get high and these kinds of things. So I really feel that like... That would be me. 
Yeah, I <laughs> so feel I like the intention that you approach something that strong, such strong divine feminine energy with really, really matters. And so like, for example, uh, there was one guy who was there in the jungle and after a ceremony goes over to another guy across the room and starts yelling at him like, you are fucking evil. Like you, you, Whoa. you need to tell the truth. Like flipping out on this poor guy. Oh, bad trip. You know, like just, and then ended up leaving in the Amazon jungle in the middle of the night saying he was like on his way to Ecuador. Wow. Yeah. So and there's like panthers and shit out there, isn't there? And all kinds of unsavory creatures potentially. Yeah. The Amazon is very, very wild and hopefully it stays wild throughout the abuse it endures from humans. Um, and as much beauty as there is, as much potential danger is there too. Depends on the energy you approach the jungle with. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what happened with Homeboy? He ran off in the bushes naked. Did he ever come back? <laughs> he never came back. <laughs> Are you serious? I hope he made it to Ecuador. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, give me a couple more. You know, as far as like people freaking out, it's like one thing, but it happens. Sure. Like people go into head loops. Sure. It happens. You know, it happened. I've seen it happen. And, uh, my teacher's ceremonies who has been leading ceremonies for 40 years, you know, and I've seen it happen. Like it, it happens just from time to time. People mm -hmm. can't or should not work with that medicine. It's really not for everyone, but I more want to tell you about the really beautiful stuff. Please do. Yeah. Please do. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm provocative in, in, in my nature, the nature of the show. I think I sometimes play devil's advocate and I'm just also still a curious kid. I just like want to know all the nitty gritty shit. That said, everyone knows if you're taking something that's psychoactive, especially something that strong, that potentially you better be in good hands. So let's just have that as our first cautionary tale. You do not want to run off in the woods for Ecuador when you don't even know what direction you're headed. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about some of the most profound or beautiful experiences that you've seen in terms of people's spiritual awakenings and the like. Things like it not raining. It needs to rain in the jungle. It's the rainforest. It's very important. It rains in the jungle every single day, you know? And I was there for 10 days and it, it didn't rain and the river was going down. And, you know, the people who live there were getting very concerned. And at the end of ayahuasca ceremony, my teacher went outside and he looked up at the sky and he started praying. And then all of a sudden it started like torrential wow dope yeah i like that yeah yeah and everybody just started like celebrating you know wow yeah yeah and i mean in a lot of the ayahuasca ceremonies that i did previously is kind of where i was meeting up with the energy of my daughter for example and uh after an ayahuasca ceremony my teacher asked me if i wanted to have kids one day and i had sort of resigned to the idea of actually physically giving birth. I thought I would just have to adopt because when I was a kid, I had a tumor, you know, tumor took out the ovary, the fallopian tube, and then I had cysts that were crushing my other ovary and fallopian tube. Wow. After an ayahuasca ceremony, he, he's a very, very stoic man, very silent man, not like chatty at all. So this is a Peruvian shaman. Yeah. Does homeboy like live in lima in the city and in no. like a condo and then just cruises out there for the things or is he like jungle dude he lives in the jungle wow yeah 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 wow. and he so he after the ceremony he was like 
do you want to have kids one day? And I was like, yeah, but I think I have to adopt because of these things. And he was like, I have something for you. And he brewed up these plants, this mixture of like five plants plus uh, honey from a bee on his property and Peruvian grain alcohol. And he, uh, he prayed over the brew and he sang over the brew and he was like, drink this. So I drank it. And then as soon as I got back from Peru, the first time my husband and I had sex, I got pregnant. No way. Yeah. That is legit. Yeah. That's a trip. Yeah. So like the magic around like wow. these plants and ayahuasca and stuff like that, like, wow, I've really, it's that's, not just like. That's a trip. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So your daughter then does have some interesting karmic energy around her. Ah, she's yeah, amazing. That's cool. I wish I could meet her. Maybe next time I'm out here, we'll get her on the podcast. Yeah. I've interviewed people and their kid is like in the other room and they get bored and they come jump in mom's lap and like they're on the mic. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, wow. That's so that's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, how many journeys did you do personally where you were taking the medicine? hundreds really yeah if not oh like a, like a thousand like i i i wow. for eight years i was no way drinking a lot of ayahuasca was, i didn't realize it was that um that extensive yeah interesting mm -hmm. and how much of that process do you think um has assisted you in what you're doing here I mean, is that just well, I mean, obviously that has a profound, I mean, you take LSD once and like your life changes forever. So I can only imagine doing it with that, actually the intention of ascension that it's profoundly affected you. In what ways do you think it's, it's changed you to where you are now in your life? I really had a lot to heal from my past. Mm. Um, and like from being a weird kid and stuff from being a weird kid. I had like a, I had a really, really tumultuous upbringing and, uh, I, yeah, I had a lot to heal and I got into um, the ayahuasca world after seven years of being on a deep dive on a spiritual path. Um, and so I thought I had healed a lot of my past, but then when I started drinking ayahuasca, I realized, wow, I was still carrying so much stuff. So I actually feel like the first you know, four years was receiving so much healing and, you know, I still continue to this day as I integrate all that time, receive so much healing. But um, the first four years was, you know, really like puking my stuff out that I didn't need to be carrying with me and this kind of thing. And then the next four years was more like learning how to heal and learning the actual Icaros and learning how to work with this plant. So the reason why I drank so much ayahuasca was first to like heal myself and then to I, I thought that that was the, the way I had, the path that I had to take to help others to experience the same healing that I have received. And then at the end of that path is when I realized, actually, I don't need the ayahuasca. Like she, she's an energy that just works through me, sure. But I don't, I don't need to actually give people anything from outside of themselves to give them that insight. Like the medicine is all within them. Yeah, mm -hmm. I would subscribe to that mm. that uh, perspective as well. What does it taste like? It tastes like um, really, really strong coffee uh, mixed with molasses, mixed with something that has gone bad. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like, it, oh, it, it interesting. tastes it tastes 
really, really bad. I've heard that. That's how I've heard it described. It tastes like a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. And then at what point did you decide that that part of your journey was over for yourself? And after you had decided that, did you stop taking other people through ceremonies at the same time? Was there like just an end date on your whole ayahuasca trip or did it gradually fade out of your life? When I got to that point where it's like, okay, now you're an initiated shaman, you can lead your own ayahuasca ceremonies. When I started leading my own ayahuasca ceremonies, I immediately realized that it's not what I wanted to do. Right. I, 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 Were you doing it up here in the city? Yeah, in Peru mostly. Okay. And no, never in the city. Okay. <laughs> I, no. I mean, people do that shit. It's, it's gotten really, I hear some shady stuff and I want to, I want to talk about that too as a cautionary tale. Yeah, for yeah, people, sure, you know? sure. I mean, you know, that's the thing with like, I don't know if you'd even classify that particular plant as psychedelic. I really, I haven't done it, so I don't know. But, mm-hmm. you know, as a teenager, we used to all take acid and shrooms all the time. And it was like, dude, we would take it at like the wackest, you know, like, I would take acid and go sit in like my homeboy's bedroom and play video games and listen to Pink Floyd and shit. You know what I mean? It was like not at all like a supportive environment or going to parties with really unconscious drunk people and just totally lame, you know? So I'm assuming this is something like would be even probably worse to do in a setting that was less than supportive, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not a good idea to drink. (laughs) <laughs> ayahuasca in the city it's not really a good idea to drink ayahuasca outside of peru and then even within peru you have to be so careful you have to be so so careful you know right. but well has it not become sort of um you know a commodity in a in a, a, a cottage industry of sorts where like anyone just pops up and is like yeah i'm a uh yeah i'm a shaman like give me a couple grand and i'll take you through this thing I oh mean, yeah totally i imagine there's a lot of sh- what's the word charlatans is that yeah the word? The, yeah there's more charlatans than there are like legitimate ayahuasca charlatans yes. yeah right yeah so you think the ratio is like more fake ass shaman than real oh absolutely oh uh, okay yeah i think you know another reason why I got to that place where I could start leading ayahuasca ceremonies um, and decided not to was because I take very seriously that I am like a young-ish looking white American woman. And you may not like look at me and think, oh, wow, she's probably spent eight years going back and forth from the Peruvian Amazon. You probably would look at me and think like, oh, this is just like another hippie that wants to like trip out kind of thing. Right. So like I also very much took into consideration, you know, the cultural reappropriation that's happening with the the medicine and also these, these people, even that ayahuasca is classified as a drug to me, it makes me feel so sad, you know, because I, I really think that if that, if that world was kept really clean and pure, that medicine could help so many people, you know? Right. Um, but because there's so many people who like just want to go and like trip out and a lot of people who lead ayahuasca ceremonies get drawn to it for, you know, um, power and sex and money. Uh, it's just been become like a very convoluted, very distorted world, you know? So that's a really scary thought that people that are less than scrupulous can be Mm -hmm. setting up shop as like these shaman journeys and stuff. And when you say people are using it for sex and power, I'm like, dude, like you take some vulnerable, I picture like a creepy fucking guy 
that like you know has the appearance of being a spiritual guide or something like that and then has like young curious american girls flying around like wanting to take ayahuasca and here's a dude that just wants money and wants to be get adulation and get laid that's like really gnarly darkness and i mean that's like more (laughs) that's that's like a little uh, bit more of what you would encounter i mean when i got into the world i was 24 i was a good-looking kid I ran into like the biggest creeps imaginable. I had wow. one guy called like one shaman and people people view this guy as like a very serious shaman and people have like a lot of respect for him. He tried to do like a love spell on me. And <laughs> whack. Oh my god. It it was so creepy. That's so gnarly. It was so creepy. He tried to do a love spell on me like and then to like, get you to like him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to get me to like fall. Yeah, to get me to like fall in love with him, and then he like asked me out for lunch after and stuff. I was like, oh no, no, no. Dude, he didn't. He didn't know. I think how strong I was, but like, still, it was so creepy. I had to do a lot actually to clear that out of myself. I bet. Yeah. 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 That will send you back home on a plane real quick. So, if someone was still interested in experimenting with that how would one discern a good guide from a bad guide or even outside of good or bad just you know a higher energy versus a lower energy guide i guess if you if you want to take it out of the duality and just put it on a spectrum i think that your first best bet is to not do it in like you know los angeles area new york area like go to peru there's a lot of people like in topanga doing that shit yeah yeah i'm like just because you don't wear shoes doesn't make you a shaman dude yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly a lack of deodorant and no shoes does not qualify you to be my spiritual guide yeah so the first step is definitely so get to peru and then are there forums or something like that online where you can like go down the you know do a bit of research and find someone who's vetted and is legit and things like that or is there is it really just a gamble i think so i think go to peru triple quadruple check your references if you're a woman do not go by yourself that is just not smart don't go to peru at all by yourself if you're a woman i would say and uh even because though this of the is, even though i've been like so many times well you myself. know you li- you're living to tell the cautionary tale yeah. is that because just traveling to another country that is not politically stable and there's these jungles and stuff and there's just it's just you want a companion or is it just because of the creeps that are like these fake cult leader ayahuasca pseudo shaman or both it, it's creep heavy the uh, okay. the ayahuasca world is very creep heavy you know? Oh God, that sucks. Yeah. That must suck for you as kind of being an early adopter and like you said, seeing the purity yeah. of the plant medicine and then over time watching it become adulterated. Yeah. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah. I couldn't um I couldn't like turn a blind eye to that anymore. Like here's this divine feminine plant and here are these men trying to abuse the divine feminine through it i was just like no yeah that's whackness (laughs) why do you describe it as the divine feminine plant um you know she's like a mother like she shows you like the beauty in life but she also teaches you the really hard lessons that you need to learn so i guess just the way that i was trained is you know ayahuasca is the feminine her shape and everything about her is very feminine 
and then um, mapacho, which is the sacred tobacco that is used within the ceremonies, is the divine masculine. And you're meant to work with both together. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. The tobacco, do you like, is it snuff or you smoke it or what? Some people use it as snuff, but um, the shaman will blow tobacco around you to protect you. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. It's, yeah. it's fascinating. You also, drink, you also drink tobacco tea. It's oh, really? Terrible, yeah. Uh, it sounds good to me as a former smoker. I take nicotine in any form. It's interesting how native peoples, you know, indigenous peoples throughout history have been very much clued into plants. And we've sort of, over time, as we've quote unquote evolved, uh, have become further removed from them. And now seeing the folly of our error and becoming, as you said earlier, disconnected from nature. Now there's a sort of new emergence of people that are feeling that disconnected sense and are trying to get back there. And then within that, there's sort of a barrier to entry because people with less than pure motives kind of find out that there's this supply and demand issue and find the vulnerability there. These, these, uh, these vultures come in and kind of like ruin it for everyone in a sense. So if you had not experienced the negative sides of that let's just call it an industry for lack of a mm -hmm. better term do you think you would have carried on and come back to new york city and you know been a shaman who takes people on journeys like that i mean did you have to bail because it got weird or just was it just like you're like you said earlier where you realized the medicine was actually within people and you just need to sort of uncover what's blocking their true essence yeah i didn't leave because it got weird like i can handle weird and mm -hmm. also like in my mid years on that journey is when I experienced like all the creepiness, mm -hmm. but then like <laughs> towards the end, I got to come back around full circle to like really working within like the light with it. So oh, okay, I, cool. I had to see the light and the shadow, you know? Cool. So you ended up ending on a positive note, so to speak. Oh, totally. Oh, cool. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I was getting the narrative that it's like you got into it, it was this beautiful thing, and then you saw it started to decline and get gnarly, and you're like, oh, put one in the plug. Yeah. I mean, I still think that if you can find like a really amazing shaman and you're in the right space in your life and these kinds of things, it's a, not the worst idea to do it, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I more was like very clear and it felt like a message actually from ayahuasca like she's like you don't you don't need me like just let me work through you and so like sometimes when i'm talking to people in medicine readings i feel like that the medicine is within and when i'm speaking to people to open up and just let that plant consciousness flow through me because you know, you can call, you know, the earth the divine feminine or like women the divine feminine, but also this is a plant that is like divine feminine consciousness. So it's just like, how can I help the people that are with me become receptive? How can I help them find their purity, their love, their balance, you know? And lastly, on the ayahuasca note, thank you for that. Mm -hmm. What does it feel like? Like, have you taken psychedelics like, acid shrooms have you ever taken any of those drugs or plant medicines <laughs> like mm -hmm. i always i always think it's funny when people like that are just partiers refer to that shit as like plant medicines like taking mushrooms or something like dude yeah. you're fucking going to a fish concert you're not taking plant medicines let's get real you're like drinking beer on that stuff um no judgment just a funny observation mm -hmm. like what's the what's the feeling like i've 
talk to so many people that have been on journeys. And I'm like, dude, so you get super high. They're like, yeah, it's not really high. It's like not the thing you want to do every day. It's not something like the next morning you're like, dude, that shit was dope. Let's do it again tonight. You're like, whoa. What is the feeling like? Do you do you hallucinate? Do you hear stuff? Do you see stuff? And for you specifically, was it super fucking weird to be like under the influence of that plant and then also have the ability to see what you see? Mm-hmm. Was it compounded and just insane or what? Um, I guess that's two questions. That's two questions. I just uh, thought of the second part and it was so awesome I had to ask. Okay, I'll answer both. Okay. If you are approaching ayahuasca and you want to just like trip out and get really high and like see a bunch of stuff. She will do either one of two things with you. You will either like see nothing and you'll just like puke your brains out for five hours or yeah. Or you just, you'll get like a little bit of like visual stuff, but no like real medicine will be received. Cause you're not open to medicine. You're open to like, tripping out and having a good time and like that's what you're there for so you'll either get your butt kicked and that's her like actually caring about you and working with you a little bit more so you'll get to like you know get your butt kicked a little bit or you'll just get like a little bit of like visions that don't really mean anything you know Mm -hmm. so intentionality has everything to do with the end result experience then would you say yeah absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah okay and for me specifically The first time I drank ayahuasca, I was seeing visions of every person that I love or ever have loved in my life and meeting with them and meeting with their consciousness and sending them healing and like receiving healing from sending them healing. And it was beyond beautiful. And, you know, my ayahuasca ceremonies, it was a lot of like connecting to different plants, connecting to different animals, um, connecting to my guides and guardians and really just experiencing like so much beauty in life, like just so much beauty and really um, having like a, a deep love for the life that I live and clarity on how to live this life. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Really great summary. And then what about the second part? The second part, for me in particular, what is it like? Yeah, because you already have something that's pretty trippy going on just on the natch. So when you add that to yeah, to the experience, what's that like? Do you think it's subjectively more intense for you or different than your average person who hasn't yet tapped into the ability to see auras and things like that? I wonder. My, I mean, I guess you're not the other type of person, so you, know, you don't yeah. have a point of reference, but... My first did your did your kind of you know superpowers so to speak become amplified where you're just like holy shit the auras are bigger or brighter or they're deeper or whatever. Uh, yes, everything is way more amplified in that sense, and like um, all sensory experiences are amplified for me and for everybody else. Mm. My my first teacher when he first met me, he was like, "You're a shaman." And you have to come and train with me. And I always wondered if that's because he could see how much I could see in the ceremony. Because I always felt like, yeah, I was having my own experience, but I could also see very much what was happening with everybody in the ceremony. And I always wondered if that's why he asked me that or like knew that, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Interesting. interesting yeah yeah well i'm sure you know (laughs) one could one could assume that he was hip to your whole scene 
Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And then the other thing that I'd like to talk about with you, which is just great. I've done so many interviews lately and have been able to cover topics that like I'm shocked that in a year I haven't been able to cover, but there's so many fascinating things about the human experience. The other day I did one about acupuncture and I was like, oh my God, okay, how did I miss acupuncture? Just haven't gotten to it yet. Mm -hmm. So I finally did. But the next one is um, a Reiki. Mm-hmm. which is something you've gone to Thailand. So you've done some traveling. You went mm-hmm. to Peru to get that whole shaman experience and then some trips to Thailand, as I understand, mm-hmm. uh, to become a Reiki master. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had that done one time in Hawaii many years ago. I found it to be a very pleasurable experience. I got in this like crazy theta, meditative, half-sleepy, beautiful space. I don't know if any healing transpired, but I felt good as shit. So I'm a fan. Uh, and then just for whatever reason, haven't, gone back to it so could you explain to the listeners that are unfamiliar with that particular practice what it's all about it's uh it's moving energy to different parts of your body so it in a way it is similar to acupuncture or similar to qigong or even similar to like you know shavasana after a really good yoga class where you're just you're balancing your energy and so the reiki practitioner will use different hand positions over you maybe the hands are like three inches away and just work within your auric field to help to balance your energy and why did you go to thailand to learn it and where is it from originally it's originally from japan uh it originated in the 1920s from a man named dr usui really um who was there's all sorts of different myths about him but apparently he was a medical doctor who wanted to learn how to heal with his hands like Jesus and the Buddha did really and so he went and meditated in a cave for 21 days and then he got like the information for reiki and like how to do the attunements and stuff and then he just started spreading it like wildfire really yeah that's dope that's funny because i always just assumed it was something that was way older like acupuncture chinese medicine like some of those asian oriental healing arts you don't really know i mean the martial arts all that kind of stuff no one really knows how long it's been around where Mm -hmm. it started so that's interesting so that's relatively new phenomenon then yeah wow that's cool there's so many strange things that we humans have discovered through those rather spontaneous downloads where people just get like books and things like conversations with god or a course in miracles Mm -hmm. these just like something just gets channeled to a human and then it has a mass or even the 12 steps through Mm -hmm. bill wilson like just some dude is sitting there and all of a sudden ding gets these massive answers that ripple out over the planet and affect people you know, hundreds of, well, obviously hundreds and thousands of years later. So that's cool. So you're, as a practitioner then, uh, how long did it take you to become, you know, to get the certification or to feel viable or to be qualified to call yourself that and charge money to do it professionally? I took my time with it. I went from Reiki level one and then a year later did Reiki level two. And then a couple of years later did my Reiki master course. So I really like, I took my time with it because I found it to be very intense. Um, And the thing is that even before I got Reiki, I was already doing a a version of what is now called medicine readings with people. Like I kind of, I opened the door to offering healing sessions when I was like 18. So it's all evolved from there. Everything else has been, been doing, working on people for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, and I just keep on adding to my 
toolbox. Like I feel excited for what else I can learn. Like there's so many fascinating things in this world. So when you do your sessions, then you're incorporating an amalgam of different practices that you've picked up with the world, Mm -hmm. including Reiki being one of them. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so we could, you could say then in a sense, it's most similar to acupuncture in that it's working with the body's meridians and energy centers, but rather than needles, you're actually just using the energy coming out of your hands. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then there's some degree of geometry involved because you're making patterns and moving in certain ways. Yeah. Because when I had it done, and of course everyone, it's not like you're looking back going, oh, what are you doing? (laughs) You know what I mean? Oh, you just made a figure eight. It's like, you don't know what they're doing. I did notice though, you can feel the energy from your hands. Yeah. And anyone that's, you know, listening like, oh, yeah, you hippies. I mean, if you just do the thing, you know, the kundalini yoga, there's always the thing where you uh, you rub your hands together and then you mm-hmm. hold them over your eyes, you know, mm-hmm. your palms. And you're like, you feel energy. You've created like kinetic heat and kinetic energy. So you know, yeah, or I'm, even I'm totally how you can feel that. when someone is looking at you, but you're not looking at them. You can feel somebody staring at you like they're sending you energy and you can uh, feel that and you turn around and look, you right, know? Right, right. Yeah. I've never made that correlation. That's cool. Yeah. What are the biggest changes or dare i say miracles that you've seen in your practice using this combination of modalities that you apply i've seen people heal from terminal cancer i've seen people lose hundreds of pounds i've also seen people severely severely addicted do a complete turnaround and stick to it that's the most impressive to me so far because I know how hard that no, is to do yourself. Yeah. Well, not hard. I mean, if you're truly in the trenches, it's, dare I say impossible based on my observations. Mm-hmm. I've seen women who can't get pregnant have like two kids. I mean, it's been amazing, you know? Wow. It's been an amazing, you know, almost two decades. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. What a fascinating life you've had, huh? Yeah. Yeah, how interesting. Yeah. I think I wonder if I wonder if in previous lifetimes you've had just a very normal existence, you know, you just worked in a field and went home and you know, tended to the babies and the dog and died a few years later, you know. You seem to have a really interesting ride this time around, huh? Yeah, it's been real. That's cool. Yeah. I really I really enjoy hearing about it. It's very cool. So I think we're coming towards the end here. I feel like there's a bow that's starting uh, starting to manifest here to put on this gift that we're giving the audience. But I wanted to ask you about motherhood because you seem very lit up about it. And obviously it's like part of your whole, your whole steez, but actual motherhood to your kid. What's been the most profound effect that it's had on your life? Oh, wow. I know you can't pick one, but you know, just... Like, what's the the huge, like, sea change that's happened in the past? What was it, four years? Yeah. Yeah. You know, confidence. Like, being a mom, like, giving birth, first and foremost, like, that being the most powerful ceremony or, like, rite of passage or initiation I've ever been through, like, just made me realize, like, okay, first of all, my body is amazing. Like, whoa. I just carried a human in it and then like created and like brought this human into the world. So that's kind of incredible. And just, you know, when I, when I held this teeny tiny little baby close to me, I was like, as a woman raising a woman, what is the most important thing for me to teach her? And I understood it. It's confidence. 
And so in order for me to teach her confidence, I have to set an example of confidence because actually we don't teach anybody anything. We can only just show people the way, you know? Well said. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. And I guess also if you're doing it with some degree of success, being a mother and like being a great custodian of that, of that kid's life, that it must give you confidence that you're nailing that shit, <laughs> you know, and not terribly screwing it up. Especially for those of us, I think that have had parents that were clueless, for lack yeah. of a better term. I mean, I do. I love my parents, but they were dumbasses in yeah. many ways. <laughs> just like I would have been at 27 and 1970, whatever, you know. Yeah. Um. But I think it must feel really good to to have the confidence that you know you're you're a good mom, and you, you know you're doing a good job so far, right? Yeah, I mean, I still hope on a daily basis that I'm not fucking this up. Yeah, of course. You know, of course. Yeah, <laughs> I guess you'll find out when she turns 16. That'll be like 16th birthday. Your weight, like, okay, okay, is she cool? Is she cool? You know, yeah. you'll, you'll find out, or maybe 14. You know, those are like the pitiful ages where the teenagers either going to go one way or the other. You know. So, what other self care practices do you use to stay clear and on point you know what kind of what kind of food do you eat what what's your movement practice do you get out into nature what things do you do to take care of you because you're so busy taking care of everyone else all the time yeah i mean becoming so busy with medicine readings has meant i have to amp up my self-care game big time uh so i wake up at like 4 30 in the morning i meditate for about two hours and um, I eat vegan, I, you know, I don't drink, I don't do anything that like sh shifts my energy too much. I try to stay very like consistent. Um, I try to get into nature as much as possible, like at least once a week. You know, I do live here in this city, but we also have beautiful nature around us everywhere. Um, and uh, ritual baths have been like my go-to for self-healing. And, you know, for being like my own healer. And so I do those once a week to cleanse my energy and have started implementing as strong of a nighttime ritual as I have with my morning ritual. So like I open the day in a very sacred way and close the day in a very sacred way. You know? oh, that's a great idea. You know, I've, I'm really good about the morning self-care. I'm mm -hmm. two, three hours before I even think about interacting with anyone in the world. Mm -hmm. I've really got to like get myself on point. But then at night, like, yeah, I might as well look at Instagram for a while before bed. You know, like mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't say that I have like the most positive evening ritual. So that's really good advice. That's a great takeaway for me personally and probably so many of our listeners is to kind of bookend yeah. the day like that. Yeah. Yeah, seal it up. Yeah. Like it. Because your dreams have so much medicine in them. Really? You know? And so like to prepare for like what you are about to receive feels important to me. That's cool. Yeah. Now on a good day, I'll look at my affirmations before I go to sleep. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, that's the last thing I see so that it's not freaking social media or something. Mm -hmm. But it's also, it's a discipline. You know, it's like I want like dopamine before I go to sleep. I don't want like positive affirmations sometimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's great. Okay. Final question. You've taught me an immense amount of valuable information today. I've learned a lot. The audience, when they finally hear this, they're going to learn a shitload of valuable information. Who have been three teachers or teachings that you might be able to recommend our listeners go check out? I feel like you specifically should check out Rodney Smith. He teaches within the Insight Meditation Society field, and he's, he's magnificent. 
such, I did a silent meditation retreat with him. It was so powerful. So he wrote this book called Stepping Out of Self-Deception. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Is Insight the guys that have the app? Uh, I don't know. Or do they have the space over? They uh, have a place here. Insight Meditation with the dome Society. And stuff? I actually haven't been to the oh, one okay, in New okay. York. <laughs> okay, okay. I've only been to their place in uh, Massachusetts. I see. Okay, yeah, it's okay. incredible. There's and there's a another one in Seattle. There's similar names. I, I'm, I'm probably confusing them, but anyway. And then Tom Kenyon, who is a sound healer, who is just phenomenal. You can go to his website and you click on the the listening part and um you can listen to his sound meditations and like as a nighttime ritual it's just so nice to like listen and as a musician too i feel like you would really resonate with what he's doing because i think you're personalizing these recommendations it's like like it's for it's for everybody but also (laughs) like yeah hey no i'm into it i'm into it yeah yeah so rodney smith tom kenyon um and you know for the last one i always have to go to like the legitimate master being love and like letting love teach you and i think that spending time with the earth is the most powerful way to learn about love and like caring for each other so nature awesome yeah i love that so much thank you for a great conversation today where can people go to find you on websites social media when they want to learn more possibly get get their ass to new york and come work with you yeah, and also I come to Los Angeles. Oh, all you the time. do? Yeah. Oh my God, I want to do a session when you're out there next. Yeah, I'll be out in November. Done. I'm yeah. on it. Yeah. I'm there in November. My website is mamamedicine.nyc, or if you want to check out more of the amazing stuff we have happening here, it's spacebymamamedicine.com. But you you go to one, you find the other. And on Instagram, I'm Mama Medicine. Facebook, just my real name, Deborah Hannikamp. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out to share with us today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Great to meet you. Yeah. Nice to meet you too. Thank you for thanking me. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I trust that Mama Medicine has turned your world upside down to some degree, and perhaps you might be considering that the world of the supernatural is indeed quite natural, and that perhaps the paranormal world is the new normal. Let's just ponder that, right? So thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I'd like to remind you to go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Luke Well, you will receive 20 free travel packs valued at $99 with your first purchase. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Luke. Really good stuff over there. Next, I want to remind you to head over to foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke Story, where you will get 15% off using the code Luke Story. So that's foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke Story. Discount code there. Luke story. I really love our advertisers. They're what makes this show happen. Uh, We've got a lot of bills to pay. So I really appreciate you guys uh, supporting those great brands. I don't know if you're aware of this, but when I take a new brand on, uh, one of my requirements is that I need to get on a Skype call or phone call with the CEO or the head chief in charge there and, uh, and talk to them about the quality of their products. So I grill them really hard about sourcing, testing for mold, heavy metals, are the herbs irradiated, all this kind of stuff. Um, so I just want you to feel assured that if someone ends up on my show 
as an advertiser, as a sponsor slash supporter, uh, there's a reason why, and that's because I believe in what they do. So you can rest assured you're not going to be having any Diet Coke ads on the old Lifestylist podcast anytime soon. You know what I'm saying? No McDonald's ads coming at you. It's only the real chronic stuff that uh, relates to improving your quality of life. So don't forget to check out Athletic Greens. I'm very grateful to them. They're a new sponsor as well as the OG sponsor for Sigmatic. And then uh, last thing I'd like to ask of you, uh, you know, I'm asking a lot today, right? Not really. I'm mostly given with a little asking, but here's what would be super awesome. And that is, if you could just share this episode with a friend, uh, you know, some of you know that I, my goal is to reach 2 million downloads by June. I've only got a few months. I haven't checked my stats lately, but I hit a million by the end of 2017. And my, my stretch goal is 2 million by halfway through this year and 3 million by the end of this year. And literally how that happens, because I don't, you know, advertise the show or anything. We don't have a budget for that quite yet. Uh, but it's really just through word of mouth. So if you resonate with some of our guests and you enjoy this podcast and it's adding value to your life, uh, the biggest way that you can give back is just sharing it with someone else and you'll be helping them, me, and of course yourself because you're going to get the helpers high from doing it. All right. Thanks so much. Don't forget though, uh, you want to tune in on Tuesday. Hopefully you're subscribed and then you don't have to worry about tuning in. But uh, next Tuesday show, number 126 features Tim Lawrence from the Hoffman Process, uh, which is a sort of a therapy camp <laughs> retreat thing that I did uh, in 2017. It literally changed my life. It was so epic. So on Tuesday, we're going to talk to Tim all about the Hoffman process. A lot of people have reached out to me since I went and want to know more about it and what my experience was like. So I not only share my experience, but uh, Tim shares his experience and he's been involved in it in, I don't know, 20, 30 years or something. So he's the OG of the Hoffman process. Click subscribe on your podcast player or app so that you don't miss that episode or any episode to follow. Blessings be with you. I'm going to send you guys some healing energy right now as we phase out. Oh,